Once again, good morning, countryside. Now, if you don't know me, I'm Aaron Miller. I'm the student minister here, and I spend most of my time and energy working with the students 6th through 12th grade, and I love it. But since Bryce isn't here this morning, I thought I'd give you a taste of what we talk about week to week with our students, the kinds of things that we would talk about on a Sunday morning at Sunday school or a Wednesday night. So, you probably think all the youth minister does involves pizza and games. And you're not too far off because we eat pizza every Wednesday night and we play games every chance we get. But even though I want our students to have fun, way, way more than that, I want our students to know their Savior. And even more specifically, I want our students to start wrestling with why they believe what they believe. So when I started here at two, almost two and a half years ago, I gave our students a survey with a series of questions that asked what Christians believe, what kinds of things our students should know as believers in Christ. And after a year of teaching through a question and answer style lesson that we did, uh, where I'd ask them a tough question and we'd work through the answer together and come to a conclusion, a year later I gave them that same survey again and the growth was unbelievable. It was shocking how much our students learned in just one year through God teaching them through that particular style. So this morning, I wanted to give you an example of what those kinds of questions look like, the things that we are teaching right now to our Sunday school, middle school students. So, before we dive in, would you pray with me? God, you are so, so good, and we are so, so not. But Lord, in spite of that, you use us as a part of your plan to further your kingdom, to make your name famous. So God, I pray that above all, we would glorify you and do your will here on earth, that here in in Pittsburgh, in countryside, in the state of Kansas, that your will would be done through us as a congregation of your church. God, you're so good. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for everything. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, let's begin this morning with a question. What is our only hope in life and in death? These are the kinds of heavy questions I like to ask our students each week. And don't get me wrong, I think all of our students knew what is our only hope in life and death. In unison, they said, do you know? Jesus, right? Our students get that. You guys get that. I'm not doubting your, your knowledge or your intellect as far as Jesus being our hope. We all understand that, but there's a lot more to it than that because our students might not have actively wrestled with why Jesus is our only hope. And sometimes maybe we forget to think about why Jesus is our only hope, what that means for us realistically day to day. So my goal with these questions is to push what we probably know into deeper understanding, to take all the pieces that we've learned over the years, going to church, being raised in the church for our students, take those things and put them together in a way that makes everything in the Christian faith make sense. Now, there are some things that are always going to be a mystery. The Trinity, I'll never understand that, right? There are a lot of things that we cannot understand, but what I want to do with these questions is start to put the pieces together and see how everything fits. So, let's break this, this question down a little bit. What is our only hope in life and in death? Well, first, we have to talk about what hope is, right? Hope is a feeling of expectation. It's wanting something, desiring something, a desirable outcome maybe. It's a feeling of expectation. For our students, a lot of times it's, I hope I get that for Christmas, or I hope I get good grades this year. For us as adults, maybe it's, I hope I get that raise or that promotion at work this year. Or maybe it's, I hope I get that for Christmas, right? We can want things as adults too, unless it's socks, right? We don't, and actually, you know, as I get older, I feel like I want socks more and more each year, but I'm only 25, so we'll see where it goes. But 
whatever that thing is, maybe it would be more accurate to say it this way. If I could only get that, then I'd be happy. Can you guys identify with that feeling? If I could only have that thing, then I would be happy. And if we take an honest look at our hope, this is what it boils down to. It's the thing that will give us happiness. And I can't tell you how many times I have personally felt this way. If I could just have that thing, I would be happy. When I was in college, my first year at Ozark Christian College, I got my first smartphone. It was an iPhone 3G, and I thought I was hot stuff, right? I had an old flip phone from Nokia, and that, I could play Snake on that. I could make texts and calls. That was cool. But man, when I got a smartphone, a whole new world of possibilities opened up. It offered so many features and, and so much convenience. How could it not satisfy me, right? But a bunch of my friends had Android phones. And if you don't know, Android is one of the big competitors to Apple's iPhone. And so over the course of a couple of months, I came to realize, well, man, I really want an Android phone. Like, this iPhone's really cool, but I wish I had that phone. That would be, that would make me happy. So eventually, I switched to an Android phone. And do you know what happened next? I loved my Android phone. It was awesome. I, uh, the new, the customization that I could do, it was great. But then I kind of missed my iPhone. I mean, it, it had better battery life, it, the screen looked better, and I found myself wishing I had the thing that I already had. So inevitably, I switched back to the iPhone, right? So I went from iPhone to Android and now back to iPhone. But then, a year and a half ago, Kaylin and I were married and I stumbled upon a deal through AT&T where you could get a buy one, get one free Android phone. And the kicker was it came with virtual reality headsets. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's okay. Basically, you strap this big, goofy-looking goggles to your face, right? And, and in these goggles are these big screens that are right in front of your eyes, and they're so close and so big that it feels like you're in a virtual world. It's as cool as it sounds, and it's as cool as it looks in the movies. And there are a lot of cool things that you can do with that, and I wanted it. So, Kaylin and I abandoned our iPhones, and we went back to Android. And again, you know what happened next, right? We loved it. It was really cool. I played around with the virtual reality, and it was a lot of fun. We messed around with that for a month, maybe, and I found myself wishing for an iPhone again. And here I am, a year and a half later, and I can proudly say, I'm back. I have my iPhone again. I've returned to the good graces of Apple. But the point is, I, I don't tell you this story to tell you, look at how indecisive your youth minister is. That's not what I'm, what I'm trying to say with this. What I'm saying is, the grass is always greener, right? We can all identify with that grass is always greener feeling. Now, if I could just have had that, I would have been happy. If I could just get my first smartphone, I'd be happy. It's got so much it can do. Well, but maybe if I had an Android, I'd be happy. And back and forth and back and forth because we're broken creatures who just want and want and want. The grass is always greener. And you are happy with that thing for a minute until you've got a new thing to hope for, a new thing to want, a new thing that would fill that void that you need to fill. But hope is more than just wanting or expecting something. Hope is about security. It's about confidence in the future. And especially in the context of our faith, hope is about trust. And we place that hope, that trust, that security in all sorts of things, don't we? We place it all over. For a long time, I placed my hope, my trust, my security in my parents and their ability to provide for me as I was growing up. Now, that doesn't mean I was actively thinking, I hope I have a roof over my head when I get home from school, or I hope I have dinner on the table. And that's not to disparage anyone who has thought that way, but those things were never threatened for me. So even though I wasn't thinking about those things, my hope was there. Maybe even deeper, I had a lot of hope in myself. 
more accurately, in my hope uh, of my sense of humor. I was the funny guy, the class clown, and that gave me security because people would laugh at my jokes. And if they laughed, then they liked me. And if they liked me, then I was set. That made me feel secure all through middle school and high school, even into college, right? My humor was security for me. I could get attention that way. Maybe you've hoped in things like that before. My students put hope in popularity, in friend groups, in their families, in their homes, in themselves. And you might understand how that feels. You put hope and trust and security in your job, in your spouse, in your hobby, in your bank account. The list could go on and on. We place our hope in all sorts of things. But the question is, why do we place our hope in those things? Why are those the things that we trust in for our security? Well, the simple answer is because they're right in front of us. We're good at those things, or they seem like a secure thing to hope in, but almost always we can see that those things have given us security before, and so we believe that they're going to continue to give us security in the future. But there's a problem with hoping in those things. There's a problem with putting our trust and our security in those kinds of things, and it's that they always fail us. Those things, if we hope and trust and are secure in them, will always let us down. They can be lost. They can be taken away. They're often outside of our control. Let's say I get in the car and I want to make a trip somewhere a couple hours away. Doesn't matter where. Where is my hope during that car ride? Well, for one, it's in the driver. Whether I'm driving or someone else is driving, I'm hoping that the driver is competent and can get me there safely. But outside of the driver, I'm hoping that the car is built well, I'm hoping that my seatbelt functions correctly, right? And even if I have a good driver and a well-built car and a seatbelt fastened, there are other things outside of our control, right? There are things a deer could run across the road. There are other drivers on the road. There are storms that could come about and, and cause us to lose our control on the car, right? And even if I have a great driver and a great car and a fastened seatbelt, which are all good things to have, they have no power in death. No matter how good those things are, they cannot overpower death. They cannot control death. They may be able to help. They may be able to help keep me away from death a little bit more, but in death, they have no power. If my security is in my house or in my possessions and someone breaks into my house, then that security is threatened. My hope is shaken. My wife, Kaylin, and I had something similar happen a year ago. We were living in a rental house here in Pittsburgh, and someone broke into our car, to Kaylin's car, which was right outside the bedroom window, like, like feet away from the bedroom window. And it was terrifying. I was, like, shaken, right? It, it was really, really scary, but even worse than that was the weeks of paranoia that followed. Uh, anytime the wind blew too hard and the house would, you know, make those groaning, right? You know how a house does. Or, or if, if there was something rustling out in the bushes, it was just a squirrel, but we didn't know that. So it's someone breaking in the house. Get the bat, right? And that's funny now because I can laugh about that a year later, but in the moment, it was terrifying. And it was terrifying because our hope had been compromised. Our trust, our security had been threatened. Something that we had trusted in had failed us. For young Aaron, who had hope in his humor and his personality, when someone didn't like me or didn't think I was funny, it really messed with me on a level that it really shouldn't have. But I had put my security in being funny and being liked, and because of that, everyone had to like me. And if someone didn't like me, I, I, what was I going to do? I, I had failed. I was a failure. My humor had failed me because my trust, my hope, my security was somewhere where it didn't belong. 
and it caused a lot of problems. So back to our question from earlier. What is our only hope in life and in death? Let me ask you this. What's our motivation for doing this? Why do we do these? Why do you come to church on a Sunday morning? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? What is your motivation for doing the things that you do? Well, a lot of times we think that's what we're supposed to do, right? And you are right. We are supposed to do those things. But unfortunately, a lot of times we think of the Christian life as a list of do's and don'ts like the Ten Commandments, right? And go to church and read your Bible and pray are all on the do list, so we do those things. And that's true, but there's more to it than that. Here's the truth about why we really do this. And listen close, because this is the basis for everything. God sent his son to save us by grace and adopt us into his family. Save us by grace just means that we didn't deserve it. There was nothing that we could have ever done to earn the graceful gift that God has given us. It is by grace alone that we are saved. It's not a reward. And now that we're adopted into God's family, we want to look like our father. We want a family resemblance, right? Because looking like our savior Jesus makes our father God happy. It's, it's our motivation out of gratitude. We want to look like our Father. And it's because Jesus saves us from our sins. He bought us. Because of our sin, we owed a huge debt that we could never, ever pay. So Jesus paid it for us. And through that payment, Jesus bought us, paying for us to be a part of his family. That's our hope. We belong to God. So our only hope in life and in death is that we belong to God through Jesus Christ. That's what I want to teach our students, and I hope that this morning I can remind you of why that matters. Romans 14, 7 through 8 says, For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. We belong to God through Jesus Christ. All of those other imperfect things that we put our hope in, the things that have no power in death, the things that are temporary— they fail us. But we know that Jesus lived here on earth and was perfect. And when he died to pay the price for our sins, he came back to life proving that he does have power over death. And when he ascended from earth to go back to heaven, he promised to be with us forever, permanently, because we belong to God. And he will never, ever fail us. But there's a flip side to that truth. Just as Christ followers, just as those who have placed their hope in Jesus belong to God, everyone belongs to something. Another way to say that would be that everyone is mastered by something. We belong to God, absolutely, but is God your master? Is he your only hope? Because everyone has a master, and here in our culture, we have a lot of masters that we could be submitting to. Our master is our stomach, so we have restaurants as far as the eye can see. Our master is our sports team, so we build multi-million dollar stadiums to house them. Our master is our television, so we set up all the rooms in the house around that altar so we can worship that God. For some people, their master is having a lot of stuff. Sometimes it's having more power or notoriety or influence. For a lot of people, their master is their money. The list could go on. But 1 John 5, verses 19 through 21 tells us that we know we're children of God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, 
in his son, Jesus Christ. We belong to him who is true, the one who deserves our hope, the one who never fails us. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, that's us, keep yourselves from idols. Everyone has a master, and if that master isn't God, we call it an idol. And the problem is that all idols, all masters except God, all things that we can put our hope in outside of God lead to destruction, to evil, and to selfishness. But somehow we think that we're going to be the exception to the rule, right? I, I can see how that might be true for some people, but not me. I've got my stuff under control. I don't have a problem with that ru ruling my life. And sometimes we're right. We may have it under control. We think, you know, we've got it under control, and sometimes that's true. But more often than not, we're wrong, and we have a master that isn't God. We've placed our hope in created things rather than in the creator. And here's why that's crazy. If you're not going to take home anything else that I've said this morning, remember this. God loves you more than you do. Let me say that again. God loves you more than you do. No other master could ever love you the way that God loves you. No other master can care about you or your future the way that God can. And no other place you could ever possibly put your hope can give you security like God can. We belong to God, and that changes everything. We give everything to God. We give him our future, our wants, and our desires. We give him our relationships. We give him our idea of truth and our idea of right and wrong. We give him our skills and our talents, our successes and our failures, our choices, everything. And we do this because God loves us more than we love ourselves. And we can trust that his way is so much better than our way every time. We aren't supposed to live to please ourselves because we don't even belong to ourselves, guys. We belong to God. We don't live to please ourselves. We don't belong to ourselves. God loves you more than you do. We don't get to decide what's right and wrong. We look to God's word for that. We don't put ourselves first. We put what pleases God and what loves our neighbor first. We don't have anything that we hold back from God. We give ourselves completely, body and soul, to him. And we trust him through the good and the bad. We do all of this because we belong to God. He bought us. He paid the price that we couldn't. And we belong to him through Jesus Christ. And that is our only hope. Now, if you're here this morning and you have already placed your faith in Jesus Christ, excellent. I'm so happy for that. Be reminded and encouraged this morning to keep your hope there. Keep it there. Don't put it anywhere where it doesn't belong. Don't have a master that isn't God, something that's going to fail you. Keep your hope where it belongs. But if you're here this morning and you've never known the hope that is in God, the true hope that can really set you free, today's the day to make that decision, right? We're going to have an invitation as our uh, band comes forward to play. And um, I just want to encourage you, come talk to me afterwards if I said something crazy that didn't make sense to you. If you have a question about anything that I said about Jesus paying for our sins, the sin debt that we owe that we can't pay, if you have questions, come talk to me. I would love to break that stuff down for you. Come grab one of our elders. We're here for that. That's the reason that we come here on a Sunday morning. But let's pray. God, <clears throat> thank you so, so much for Jesus Christ. Here we are. Do whatever you want with us. We belong to you. We give ourselves up to you. We know that we put our hope in things like money and pleasure and popularity and success and comfort and being accepted, but we want to put our hope in you instead. You gave Jesus to pay the price for our sins. We belong to you. 
Our lives are yours. Our talents are yours. Our desires are yours. Our successes are yours. Everything that we have is yours, and it's for your glory to make you famous, to worship you. You love us more than we love ourselves, God. You care for us more than we care for ourselves, so do whatever you want with us. Your way is the best way. We belong to you. You are our only hope in life and in death. Thank you. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.